Fandom University. Every other week, we deep dive into the topics we love and obsess over. Comics, novels, movies, sci-fi, and video games receive the elevated discourse they deserve. With your overworked TAs, Sean and Sergio. Hello, all you boogeymen and babysitters out there. Welcome to the brand new episode of Fandom University. My name is Sergio. My name is Sean. This is the first episode of our Michael Myers and Laurie Strode arc. Yes, the Halloween movies, just in time for spooky season. We'll be discussing the movies as they pertain to the Laurie Strode character. Laurie Strode uh, introduced in the first Halloween makes her way into the second Halloween and then sort of disappears for a few years, a couple decades, actually. Yep. And doesn't show up until Halloween H2O. And so those are the movies we'll be talking about. And also the brand new ones that are being directed by David Gordon Green. 2018's Halloween, which is a, um, I guess, a uh, it's a direct sequel to the original Halloween. While retconning. Yeah, presupposes that Halloween 2 did not happen Um, And then we'll also be talking the new one that comes out in October 2021, Halloween Kills, a movie that's been delayed for over a year as a result of the ongoing uh, plague uh, that we can't seem to shake no matter how little we try. (laughs) But yeah, this is the first episode we will be talking about the first two Halloweens and Halloween H2O. And let's just dive right into it. Buckle up, buttercup. So for those who are somehow unfamiliar with the Halloween series, it is the first one came out in 1978, directed by John Carpenter, who at the time had some uh, had some mojo going because he had just directed Assault on Precinct 13, which was an unexpected hit. Yep. And so he's hired to make another movie and decides to go the spooky route, the, the scary route, and wants to do something to do something to do with the holiday of Halloween, because up until that point, any movies uh, concerning the holiday were sort of kid-friendly and more about like the trick-or-treating and the costumes and all that, not really the uh, more sinister aspects of the holiday. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually interesting. It was kind of a, you know, it, this is one of Carpenter's signature films, but it was very much a work-for-hire gig because like he was sort of the producer um not Mustafa Akkad, but the other one sort of came to him with that offer and was like, I'll raise the money, but it needs to be a horror movie. Um, you know, and I think the original title was The Babysitter Murders. And then they decided to go back and call it Halloween. And I think there was even some surprise on their part that there hadn't just been a movie called Halloween yet, like by 1978. So they, um, they 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 jumped right in on that. And I think Carpenter made like $10,000 total. Like that was his directing, writing and directing fee. Um, and in exchange, he was given complete creative control of the movie. So he got final cut and all of that. Um, and so, and, and also his girlfriend at the time, uh, Deborah Hill had to be the producer. Like those were the conditions. And um, pr- producer was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> like, go for it. And they... Uh, wrote the script in a few weeks and ended up with a classic. Yeah. What was really cool is Deborah Hill wrote all the dialogue for the female parts. And for me, a movie that old 
sort of sometimes the you know, the the dialogue, the acting can seem a little stilted, mm-hmm. but this comes out this the acting and the the writing in Halloween come off pretty natural. Yeah, I, I think the girls have real chemistry together. Um, I think that the scene where they're you know walking home, or the scene where Annie and Lori are in the car smoking a joint, you know, on their way to babysit. Um, does a lot of work to make us care about them. Um, you know, and I mean, even Linda, like, you know, she's kind of presented as a little bit of a, a bimbo, but she's very good hearted and sweet and like, not, not mean, you know, there, she might be a little silly, but like, she's, I mean, like, yeah, they, they come, they come across as, as authentic kids. teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, they're not, uh, you know, they kind of tease Lori a little bit for being bookish and, and wanting to study, but they're not, you know, they're not, like I said, they're not mean to her. Yeah, exactly. They don't ostracize her. Yeah, there's a line where Lori's like, oh, I forgot my chemistry book. And <laughs> when she <laughs> says like, oh yeah, I forgot my chemistry book too. And my English book. And my, yeah, da, 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 book. And who needs books anyway? I don't yeah. need books. <laughs> and they're trying to get her to go to the, to the dance the next night. And so what's cool is like in getting in researching uh, for this episode, I was trying to see if there's any sort of inspiration that, uh, fuel John Carpenter's vision for Michael Myers, the Michael Myers character. And I, I found two things. One is a, a trip to a mental asylum that he took when he was in college, taking a psychiatry course. And he sees this kid who, you know, is almost note for note what, do, uh, what Dr. Loomis describes as Michael Myers, like this sort of like vacant stared, like pale kid, but like almost like nothing you know, behind his eyes. Right. And, and and still a child though, which, you know, uh, that would leave a mark. Yeah. <laughs> and so and we talked about how Dr. Loomis or, you know, Dr. Loomis, you said before we started recording that he seemingly is the only person who has an, a real idea about what's going on. And yet right when you sort of look at it outside the context of the, the film and like the film's like universe and like sort of the, the, the narrative it's trying to tell, you know, he's not a very good doctor. <laughs> no. um, he seems to actively hate his patient. Um, because he can't, because he, he's, he's failing to fix him to quote unquote, fix him. Right. What was the line you brought up uh, earlier where he's talking to Sheriff uh, Brackett and he says, I spent eight years trying to reach him and then the next seven trying to keep him locked up. Yeah. So this six year old kid who has murdered his sister seemingly um, for no reason uh, is locked up for eight years. Loomis works with him for that amount of time and he's 14 and Loomis decides, like, yeah, he's done. Like, I can't, if I can't help him, then no one can. And which is sort of <laughs> ridiculous. Right. Well, and also assuming that, like, somebody who's catatonic and hasn't done anything since is that dangerous. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like there are other stories about Michael hurting other people in the hospital after that. You know, it's for what we understand, he's just been sitting and waiting essentially yeah, no exactly that's what Loomis says is that they that the staff was wholly unprepared for this because it was so unlike anything he'd ever done like he just he just sat and waited essentially for 15 years for his chance to break out so what's interesting well there are many interesting things I start too many sentences that way but one thing that um 
I always think it's fascinating every time I watch this movie. So we open with Dr. Loomis and his nurse, uh, nurse chambers in the car on their way to pick Michael up at night for some reason for his court hearing the next day, I think. Um, and when they get there, there are patients all over the lawn and the gate is broken and the movie never addresses how this happens or who did it or anything like that. And I guess we're supposed to assume Michael did it. He like staged a breakout at Arkham, you know? No. Yeah. Like a sort of uh Bane in nightfall sort of uh, right. uh mental hospital breakout to sort of, I guess, like, you know, keep everyone else busy while, you know, he does what he needs to do. Um, but even before that, I don't want I wanted to bring this up to the actual scene where Mike uh, with six year old Michael stabbing his sister Judith to death. You know, he walks out have, after having done so and his parents pull up and they're they're wondering, like, what's going on? They pull the mask off of him. And there's a great scene where that little like the dazed little kids holding a bloody knife, wearing a clown costume. And and it's it's really cool how Carpenter blocks that scene. It's almost like this like gory tableau because they don't really move. They just sort of like hold their position mm-hmm. as the as the camera pans out. And it's just, there's, I saw somebody, I think it was in Vanity Fair, somebody tweeted it and was talking about how Halloween was a ripoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre or one or the oh, other. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was the, the critic. Yeah, I think it was Owen Gleiberman. <laughs> and said that, and he's like, and which is sort of a, uh, testament to the quality of 70s horror movies i'm like that's all that's a wild take to to take two classics of the genre and say that that is indicative of the i guess the low point of of horror at that, at that point well also the idea that texas chainsaw massacre and halloween are similar i yeah. guess because they're both low budget violent movies yeah, like there's there's so many wild takes in that in that article, but you know, rewatch and I've seen Halloween a thousand times, and I am entertained each and every time. I haven't, I haven't seen it in years actually, and watching it just recently, like I was amazed again at, at how well it's made, like the how the tension builds, the lighting, the sh- the, the the shots, the, the camera work, the yeah. cinematography. Like there's that scene where is it Lori's friend when she's doing laundry? Yeah, when she's in the kitchen um, talking to Paul on the phone, you see Michael outside the back door, and then when the camera cuts back, he's gone again. And then when she's in the room doing laundry, there's also a moment where the door opens a little bit, and you can see Michael's watching her inside once she's out of the house and in the the garage. And um, there's there's another yeah. part where you just see his his mask sort of like like sort of float forward out of the darkness yeah it's um you know something i was surprised by watching it again too is how slight michael is yeah Um, not a big dude no for some reason when i was a kid watching this on my 19 inch you know um tube tv i always and maybe because i was a kid right so like all adults looked big to me. I always got the impression of Michael as really big and I have a much bigger TV now and I was watching the movie, you know, and I, I watch it probably once every year, every couple of years, you know, around this time of year. Um, it's almost a comfort film at this point, which is a weird thing to say um, <laughs> because it, it is scary still to me. Um, but the, 
I forget where. Oh yeah. Just looking at Michael this time, like the, especially that shot where Tommy bumps into him outside the school and he grabs him and then lets him go. Like, I was like, that is one skinny dude. Like that is not a, somebody you would expect. And in a way that makes it even scarier because like, he's just seems so normal in terms of stature and build. No. Yeah. And that's, you know, there are any number of things wrong with the Rob Zombie uh, take on this on this on this franchise and and the character, and I think that and that's one of them. Like him getting this huge hulking professional wrestler to pay to play Michael. Like yeah, the idea is that like he is it's uh, unexpected. You know, someone you see this giant fucking like house of a man. Like you're even if he looks even if he's not wearing a creepy white mask and holding a butcher knife, you're gonna you're gonna pause. You're gonna it's gonna you're gonna take pause and. Right. Your survival instincts are at least going to nudge you a little. Like, just, be just aware. Yeah. Um, um, another yeah. another uh, piece of information I found out in uh, in researching or and looking up what may have been uh, Carpenter's inspiration was a story of Stanley Steers. Have you heard of that? No I, had, no, I hadn't heard this at all, but it's almost a note for note, uh, like retelling of the Michael Myers story and I can't tell and it's completely it's a complete urban legend there's absolutely no records that uh, a Stanley Steers ever existed and so and I, I can't seem to find out if the urban legend existed prior to the Halloween movie and you know and then the Carpenter used that as inspiration or if the movie came out and sort of with Texas Chainsaw Massacre everyone like they, they marketed it as a true story. Right. And so maybe the, some of that, like, you know, uh, some of that mojo, some of that, uh, some of that juice, that zeitgeist uh, that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, dripped onto Halloween and, and sort of it kind of, kind of snowballed into, well, there has to be some inspiration for, for this movie as well. Right. And it, it's also interesting that you would accuse, Halloween of being a ripoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is shot very documentary style. And I know there's some steady cam work in Halloween, but it's also a movie, like you said, that has moments of like real staging, like that shot of Michael outside the house. Like the movie takes a lot of care with the composition of the frame, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which is not like the only time it really feels like a documentary is when you're in Michael's point of view, essentially. And yeah. like you're following and you're stalking. Um, so that's, yeah. What a, what a weird take. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I follow through the fandom university Twitter account, which is at fandom you podcast. We follow a lot of horror fans and like, yeah, every, like just about everyone uh, tweeted about it was just flabbergasted as <laughs> what, you know, how this ended up on, you know, a, I was ended up in variety of all places, but uh, the story of Stanley Steers is uh, this um, boy who was born in Iowa in 1912, adopted to, uh, you know, adopted out uh, parents for whatever reason, not around either. They passed away or they gave him up. Uh, so he's adopted out of his family who abuses him. Um, Halloween 1923, when he's 11 years old, his adoptive parents wouldn't allow him to go trick-or-treating. Uh, he snaps, kills his sister and then kills the rest of the family, including the family dog, uh, before going out and trick-or-treating and going on a, an a even bigger killing spree, uh, killing bullies, other people with a, a natural strength and a butcher's knife. 
And so the next morning he's found by police taken to a mental hospital uh, until 15 years later when he breaks out and goes on another killing spree. Hmm. So again, like hard to say which one came first, the chicken or the egg. Like, is this a story that like an urban legend that has been around and sort of informed the creation of the Michael Myers character or was this sort of created as a result to sort of um, legitimize the the character in a, in a real life sort of way, sort of like, like, Oh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is real. Well, not technically, but it was inspired by Ed Gain. Oh, okay. Right. Right. It's such a primal story too, because it, it hits on very American fears about, you know, um, the evil, you know, at home, essentially, you know, like, uh, it's a power, it's a story with a lot of power to it. Like, we, you know, we were talking recently about, like, certain stories having staying power or hitting the human culture, you know, or whatever the, the, the culture it's in, like, in such a way that they last, like, Superman lasted, Batman lasted, but, like, most of their contemporaries did not, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, for the, every Superman, there's a hundred whatever men. men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever men that you know no one's ever heard of. So I I wouldn't be surprised, like, you know, if there's just something in the air at this point. Like, because this movie definitely seemed to hit a nerve. Like it's when it when it came out. I mean, it was a tiny film and they didn't so there's this podcast I listened to a couple years ago and I know you're listening to our podcast and here I am pointing you to another but if you're a fan of Halloween it's got a lot of great interviews with people who actually worked on the movies um, and uh, you know other prominent film critics and stuff it's a great deep dive into the series Um, and they talk about how they expected this movie to sort of play at some drive-ins or something as the second movie on a double bill and that would be it like it was really work for hire and so, and, and back then, you know, movies didn't always open nationwide all at once. They would just sort of gradually roll out. And so they didn't know for a long time that they had this massive hit on their hands. I mean, I think until Blair Witch Project came out, this was the highest grossing independent film of all time. Because it only cost a few. 300,000. Uh, yeah, only, it, it only cost that much and grossed millions. Right. So... You know, in terms of how much it cost versus how much it made, it's definitely, uh, you know, definitely great investment. <laughs> yeah, the percentage is is just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, like it. I mean, I we're trying to figure out exactly why it was. I mean, it's a really well made film. We already discussed that. You know, uh, between the cinematography, John Car, the the script that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill uh, crafted. That amazing and score. That amazing score. I mean, like you start, I mean, it's, it's, it's iconic. The, yeah. I get chills. I was at the Walgreens with my wife the other day and they had like a, this little like stuffed Michael Myers that like kind of cute and um, you press its hand and it'll walk. And so I'm thinking like, oh, it's going to walk and it's going to play like the, like the Halloween theme. And then it played something. I don't know what it was. And I just like look at my wife, I'm like, that's that that's not it. I'm not buying this at all. <laughs> no. Nope. Also, most Halloween merchandise I see is branded as Halloween 2, which is weird. What? That is weird. I wonder why that is. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's just like it's Halloween. Like, you know, there's nothing really um uh 
marketing wise, there's nothing really profound about Halloween too. To, to be gained by putting the two. Well, yeah. the only other thing I could think of is that maybe the licensing um, is split. So maybe one company has the rights to market Halloween two stuff, but not Halloween stuff. For sure. And like, and there's the Halloween franchise has a long sorted history of like weird licensing rights and, and <laughs> copyrights and all that, but that's, that's for another time. That's for uh, our legal podcast down the line. Our entertain, our legal, legal entertainment, eagles. legal right. beagle eagles. Uh, and so we were discussing why exactly, aside from it obviously being a finely crafted film, why it's persevered for you know forty plus years. And you like you like you alluded to before, it, it sort of tapped into, uh, into what was going on in the culture at the time. Like the, we are, we are post Watergate, you know, post Vietnam War. And sort of this idea that the suburbs are no longer safe, you know, this 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 white flight from the inner city, from the city to the suburbs, is you know, you people thought that they could get away from the big bad scary place and the big bad scary people, and you know, Carpenter is telling you or telling them, like, no, like evil is going to reach out and touch you wherever you are. Right. It. Yeah, it, it can come from within just as easily as from without. Um, and this is a hometown boy, homegrown. You know, this isn't this isn't someone who shows up out of the blue. This is someone that was born and yeah, born raised. And raised. Yeah. <laughs> well, not exactly raised because he was taken away at six, but he would have been if he'd stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He is very much part of the fabric of Haddonfield. Um like they can't blame him on something else, although they they do eventually in the sequels, um, which we won't be discussing, you know, when you yeah. get into cults and stuff, but um, which is fun, but not for this uh, particular discussion. Um, yeah, yeah, this idea of just an eroding faith in all our institutions, like we have eroding faith in our politicians after Watergate, we have eroding faith in our um, military after Vietnam, you know, I'm sure that um, during the civil rights movement, our faith in the police definitely gets shaken. Mm. Um, so like all these institutions, all these things that we sort of held up as what, you know, kept the, the, us safe and, and the country orderly and, and that we could feel proud of, like are revealing themselves to be pretty fallible, very human, very flawed, uh, capable of big mistakes. And so, yeah, there's a there's a certain nihilism, I think, in the air. And you can see it in a lot of movies uh, from that period. I remember my mom saying that um, when I was a kid, she was talking about this time period and why a movie like Rocky or Star Wars hit so big, because like they were rare, happy movies in a time when like movies were pretty dark. And Halloween, I think, just takes that and strips it to almost its most primal like form and I think that's part of why it's so effective because it even free of the context of late 20th century you know social upheaval it still like has that same thrust into the fears and nightmares of that time and, um, yeah and like the shots of Haddonfield make it seem like it this very quaint quiet little town where you know people probably still have tabs at local like you know that's at small local businesses stores, like yeah. at local stores and and then just to have it completely upended by, by, by madness, by evil, whatever it may be. Yeah. Haddonfield seems like a nice place, you know, a very all American, like, you know, even, um, 
you know, Judith, Michael's older sister and her boyfriend, like just seem like regular, you know, kids fooling around on Halloween night. You know, they're not like, there's nothing untoward about it. I mean, it's a little racy, but you know, um, it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a teenage girl having sex with her teenage boyfriend. Right. I mean, Uh, one of the most normal American things there is as American as apple pie and Coca-Cola. That's right. And that, and And healthier. And we can segue into, um, you know, what, you know, many consider to be like the sexual violence behind Michael Myers action. And it, it sort of makes sense because like he does kill his sister after she fornicates with her boyfriend and after she sort of shirks her responsibilities of babysitting him. Like there, there's a line where the boyfriend asks her, like, hey, where's Michael? And she's like, oh, he's around here somewhere. Right. Later on, when he returns to Haddonfield, uh, he kills Annie and Linda, both of which, uh, you know, Annie is trying to, again, shirk her responsibilities as a babysitter and go hook up with her boyfriend. So she takes her, her child, her, the child her, that she's Lindsay, in charge of, yeah. Lindsay, uh, to Lori so she can hang out with, with the little boy that Lori's babysitting, Tommy. Uh, so Annie gets killed. Linda gets killed as well as her boyfriend after they fornicate and smoke cigarettes, you know. Uh, and so it's easy to, to sort of paint Michael Myers and that, that, and those are some of the tropes that, you know, Halloween being a, is essentially like the, the, the grandfather, the, the forerunner, the, the, the beginning, the alpha of the slasher film, you know, there, yeah. there are definite like proto slashers that um, Halloween kind of, kind of took its cues from like black Christmas, exactly. being the, the main one. Yeah. But, but I, I'd say Halloween has had more of a direct influence on what followed. Yeah, no, exactly. You see Halloween's DNA in Friday the 13th. You see it in Nightmare on Elm Street. And to let John Carpenter tell it, that sort of um, sort of like vindictive vindictiveness on uh, toward the... Uh, you know, sexually active drug using teenager is complete it was unintended like to him there was just teenagers being teenagers like teenagers doing teenager things and you know but like i said those those became tropes right uh, which leads us to the final girl um you know with one of the most famous tropes in all of pop culture no yeah absolutely it's uh the final girl trope being uh coined by Carol J. Clover in her 1992 book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film. And sort of this idea that there's this um, like puritanical, uh, innocent, pure female who survives to the end because of those aforementioned qualities. Like she abstains from the drugs, she abstains from the premarital sex, and as a result, holds some sort of power that makes her nigh invincible to the killer who kills because of because, uh, because, you know, like it's because of those things that, that the other teenagers do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you see that crystallized, ha ha ha, you know, camp crystal Lake, within Jason who, <laughs> who died, he drowned because his, the people who were watching him were off having sex. Or I think Mrs. Voorhees says making love in the movie, which is such a Sweet. tender way to put it, Sweet, uh, yeah. especially considering like, they're horned they up 16 died. year olds, like banging over summer break it's not like you know it's i i doubt it's like you know they they brought their 
their significant like other a with them. And a, some wine. Um, it's just a know. summer fling, you know? Like summer yeah, exactly. loving. Summer loving had just left. Just banging it out so that they can think straight, uh, you know, after it's over. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's, and it, it definitely, you know, by the time you get to Scream in 1995, and that trope enters not just the academic or critical, um, you know, conversation, but the general popular culture. I mean, I think for a lot of people around our age, that's where that, um, you know, that idea first came to light, you know, and, um, and then we enter the postmodern slasher at that point, you know, the self-aware slasher, even so much so that like part of their plan to off Sydney at the end is to make sure that, you know, Skeet Ulrich's character takes her virginity. And, you know, the, the movie does a nice flip on that, of course, because she survives after that and then kills him, uh, like yeah. shoots him right in the head, <laughs> which good for her. I mean, yeah, that's, you know, the, what was cool about Scream is that it took all these tropes uh, that, that slasher films had built up over a couple of decades and turned them on its head, turned them inside out. Yeah, but this particular trope, as it were, uh, was completely unintended, you know, like it. Yeah, you know, like I like I said previously, Carpenter's on record saying like that's you know completely misses the point. That's just kids being kids or teenagers being teenagers. Right, right. It's and one thing that puts a pin in that is the fact that Michael Myers is tries to kill Lori as well, even though she's the only one who you know is is you know doing is uh, she's the doing only doing what who, she's supposed to. Yeah, exactly. She's she's studying. She's taking care. She's taking great care of Tommy. You know, yeah. like watching movies with them, uh, carving pumpkins, <laughs> carving punk, assuaging his fears about the boogeyman, uh, reading to him, and but yet he he tries to kill her as well. So that's that's one thing that like sort of uh, pops a pin in in the idea that Michael Myers, you know, uh, his violence has a like a sexual nature to it. Right. I I think the the issue is I that the 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 ethos of the film itself seems to be rewarding it, even if Michael's violence isn't sexually um, motivated, that there's still sort of this, um, you know, this, this unintended um, textual evidence presented that because she behaved, she has the power to survive. Um, although Michael like redoubles his efforts to get to her in Halloween too. So like, I, and, and also I feel like, um, that may be one of the things that that makes Halloween too worthwhile is that yes, Michael does kill one couple that's just finished having sex, but he kills a lot of other people who didn't do shit. <laughs> like no, yeah, he, he kills them um, simply as a as a means to an end, which is to get to Lori, right? Which you know, in two, it's revealed that Lori's actually um, the previously uh, not known baby sister of Michael Myers, who. Um, I guess his parents died uh, shortly after he was institutionalized. Yeah, and they like sealed the records, I think. And she was adopted by the Strodes. They sealed the records. And even Dr. Loomis doesn't know this. And for me, and like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll dig more into that when we discuss the 2018 Halloween movie, because like we said, it, it, it's a direct sequel to the original Halloween. And so it does away with the entire sibling connection. Right. And we can sort of examine what you gain and lose, you know, by, by taking that out. Um, and I think that the fact that he, the fact that Michael is so, is 
obsessed, you know, to with with Lori and before like Halloween seems like we don't know why he has targeted this small clique of friends. Right. I mean, we or that it's arbitrary. Like Lori's Lori and Tommy just happen to be the people who he sees outside his house and he fixates on the two of them. Like he stalks both of them throughout the day. Like, you know. Um, so my assumption is eventually he would have killed Tommy too, because like he's definitely stalking the kid. Not he may be stalking the kid to try and get back towards Lori. Um, you know, but but he also seems to know where Lori is because he's like hanging out outside her classroom window, staring at her, driving <laughs> standing you know, outside her house. Yeah, watching her through the window. Like, I don't think he's having any trouble finding her. Um, so that says to me, like, he's probably uh, he doesn't kill Tommy right there though. And he could have. So no, yeah. I, I mean, and that's again, it's like, it's a question mark. Why? Like, yeah, why? we have, we have no idea why. Um, and there's the same way Tommy bumps into him in the first one. There's a kid walking around holding a boom box who bumps into him and they, they both he, Michael Myers lets them both make it. And so it's, it's hard to pinpoint why up until the revelation that Lori is his baby sister as to, you know, uh, you know, what's, what's the, what's the rhyme? What's the rhyme and reason? What's the method here? And yet I feel that the parts of Halloween two, where you take a, you, you, there isn't as much of a narrow focus on these characters and more so it like sort of pans out to the, to the town as a whole. I think those are the most interesting parts of the movie. Uh, yeah. You know, like you have you know, like uh, this little kid whose mouth is dripping blood and whose mom takes him to the hospital. We're not sure what happened to that kid there. Uh, they think Michael may have been uh, killed when, I mean, they see somebody who's dressed a lot like Michael and Dr. Loomis opens fire. Waving, on a he, he doesn't, he doesn't open fire, he's, but he starts waving his pistol around. And so this person <laughs> dressed up, you know, in for Halloween, like walks out into the street trying to get away, you know, uh, reasonably. So that's, right, I, I, right. I can't blame him gets up gets in slammed by a cop car into a van <laughs> and explodes into fire and so just the idea like like holy shit like this town is fucking falling apart like you yeah. just found these three kids dead apparently this person you know let the radio and dr loomis tell it has taken sli- six slugs <laughs> and, and is still alive and still on the loose like i thought i i felt like Take, taking the narrow focus like the more intimate you know for lack of a better term the more intimate view on or intimate fo- the more intimate focus in halloween and making it more about the entire town of haddonfield and how this evil is sort of sort of spreading out i thought that would have been more, I, that would have made for a more interesting movie yeah i think so too like at that point if the, if that had been a more successful tactic then it doesn't matter so much that Lori spends two thirds of the movie in bed, you yeah. know, like I, it, it's, you know, and then if she ends up playing into the climax, fine, because like, you know, she's part of the town, but it's not about that. Um, so yeah, I, it feels like it's kind of trying to have its cake and eat it too. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's maybe two different movies. Um, and maybe, you know, just, taking Lori out of the story altogether at that point and focusing on the town with this guy still on the loose would have been the better way to go rather than like, 
trying to thread that back through. But of course, you know, the, the smart move financially is to try and bring back the star of the first movie. And, you mm-hmm. know, um, I just wish she had more to do. I mean, in the last like 10 minutes, she gets to do a lot, you know, when she and Loomis team up again and she actually gets to like shoot out Michael's eyes, apparently. I mean, she, her hand-eye coordination is on fucking point. I mean, she stabs him. him. She stabs him in the first movie. She stabs him in the neck with a sewing needle. She stabs him in the eye with a wire hanger. And then in the second movie, she shoots him in both eyes with a handgun. And so, I mean, it's, it's Laurie. Killing Strode. is clearly in the Myers bloodline. So let's, 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 let's talk about that. How, how you said that her and Loomis team up, you know, the, the final girl you know, trope, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about the, the, the positives and negatives of it. You know, the positives being that, you know, in, in, shows empowered women like you know uh surviving uh make uh all odds yeah and yet you know in in halloween you have loomis's character aiding in in that survival um and so i he gets the last shot both times yeah yeah no yeah you're right in in halloween uh you know she is able to fight him off briefly by taking off his mask and that's when he fire six slugs into him and then in two after she shoots him in the eyes he's the one who blows up the hospital and apparently somehow they i mean i can understand michael myers you know apparently being some sort of supernatural evil surviving that but <laughs> dr loomis is just this like bad psychiatrist how the fuck is he gonna survive that right right it, yeah it's i mean and when he pops back up in halloween four they they do some prosthetic work to sort of be like yeah you know he was pretty badly burned um, although you actually see Michael walk out of the room, um, you know, like on fire <laughs> at the end, you don't get Loomis like coming out of there. <laughs> so like, ah, I'm, help somebody help me. Yeah. Put me out. Um, the evil is gone from here again. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's a little unfortunate, um, what do you think about Donald? So we haven't talked that much about Donald Pleasance's performance. We talked a little bit at the beginning about him as not a very good doctor yeah. as presented in the film. Although within the context of the movie, he is the only one who knows what's going on and why won't anyone listen to him? I mean, I think uh, both can be true. I think he can understand what's going on and also be a bad doctor. That's true. And also just be a bit nuts. Yeah, yeah. it's true. They, they, you know what? The film is allowing for complexity. Um, despite its primal, simple nature, we get this very complex um, uh, portrayal of competence and incompetence hand in hand in Donald Pleasance's, um, he makes a meal out of every line in that movie. Like he really seems to be chewing the scenery and it, I, you know, it's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> like, no, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He, uh, and, and so is Jamie Lee Curtis. This is her film debut. And in fact, she wasn't, like she wasn't cast initially they had someone else cast and that actress dropped out for whatever reason and they thought why not jamie lee curtis who is jamie janet who is janet lee's daughter from psycho and john right. carpenter's like oh that's that's fucking too perfect you have <laughs> the daughter we have in our horror movie we have the uh, we have the as the main actress we have a daughter of the main actress from 
be the greatest horror film of all time. Of all time. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's just one of those examples where like everything sort of like, like the, the, the wavelength and the frequency just operate on, on the same level for everything. You know, you've got a great filmmaker with a, with a great eye and a, and who can compose his own score in Carpenter, a fantastic screenwriting partner in Deborah Hill, yep. great actors in Donald Pleasance and Jan, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, as well as the supporting cast as well. Like I said, like I mentioned earlier, like all these, all these performances come across as really natural. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the performances, the chemistry, like PJ souls as Linda, Nancy Kai's as Annie, uh, Charles Cyphers as Sheriff Brackett. Like there's, they, I mean, they've all got presence on screen that really lends the movie a lot. I think it's well cast and that's the other big piece of like things falling into place is just making sure you've got the right people in front of the camera too. And yeah. And you mentioned just, uh, you mentioned the, their performances make you care about the characters. There's that really heartbreaking scene in Halloween 2 when Sheriff Brackett sees his daughter's body and closes her eyes, like uncovers her, you know, the, the white tarp, clo- like kind of breaks down a little, closes her eyes and, re- and you know, covers her back up. And, and that's something, it, it, yeah, it hits, it, it hits hard. And it's something that I feel is missing from your typical slasher film. Yeah. And, and he exits the movie at that point. Like, yeah. and then, and then we've got the other deputy um, who, who, who kind of takes over um, who unfairly reminds me of Andy from Twin Peaks, even though he's much more competent than Andy was, <laughs> but like their voices are kind of similar. So like um, it's hard not to, and that, that's something I was wondering your thoughts on. And I know neither of us is a complete expert on this, but the small town sort of like rallying around like, you know, sheriff's department trying to figure out like, why is this person killing? Who is killing all of this stuff? Like I got real Twin Peaks pilot vibes from those scenes. And I don't know if that's me just drawing connections in my head or if, you know, Halloween two is one of the early predecessors of that, you know, sort of the, what you talk about the, the community wide, um, horror story essentially that we did get in twin peaks um you know to some degree at least in the first season i mean i think it i think some of the um like ideas and sort of like cliches and 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 tropes and stereotypes of the small town uh definitely play into both um but yeah i could i could definitely see the connection there as far as like i could definitely see how you could connect those those dots um whether it's intended or not i i wouldn't think so um because I, I feel it seems like an unlikely spot for David Lynch to go for inspiration. No, that and uh, Halloween two for you know against all odds is is playing it relatively straight. And Twin Peaks, there's a you know while it's about a brutal murder of a teenage girl, it's kind of goofy at the same time. Yeah, it's quirky. It, it, it goes big in both directions, <laughs> really yeah. dark and really silly. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a weird flavor, uh, but once you've acquired it, nothing else hits like it. Um, <laughs> a, that you can print. <laughs> that that you can put on the Blu-ray box set. Sean, Sean Hamill, Hamm. a cosmology of monsters. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Donald Pleasance, bad doctor, good actor. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, Doctor Loomis, bad doctor. Donald Pleasance, 
good, good actor. actor. Right. Um, have you ever actually, so this, I mean, we, we don't have to go into the weeds on this. I was just curious if you've ever seen the, the footage from the TV version of Halloween 2 and Halloween. No. They filmed extra footage to help it mat, meet the running time once it, um, you know, they had to take out the bloody parts. Mm-hmm. And also it kind of shores up some of the connections between the two movies. Um, but you can tell when you watch the footage in isolation that like it's on the set of Halloween too, and very little thought was put into it. It's not very good. They use a little bit of it in Halloween too, where you have the, the Lori having the dream where her adopted mom is like, I told you I'm not your mom, which yeah. talks to their kid. Damn, like, I mean, if you're going to adopt this kid, like what the fuck are you doing? Why are you talking? I mean, like, why are you, right. why is she even around if you're going right. to be like that? And if it's sealed, why are they taking her to visit Michael, who just has this football sitting next to him on the floor and like looks at her? He, the kid, to be fair, the kid playing Michael in that scene does give off real creep vibes. Like for sure, for sure. Um, um, so, you, so good job, whoever that young man was. You bring up the the TV edits that had to take out the the bloody parts, edit out them, you know, make it suitable for television. But what's surprising about these two movies is that there's not a whole lot of blood. You know, they're not. Uh, they're not gory in in the traditional sense of what you would come to expect from from slasher movies, you know, and even just a, like a few years later from Friday the Thirteenth or, I mean, Friday the Thirteenth, you've got this like the arrowhead through the neck and yeah. uh, you know a waterbed full of blood. That's right, and uh, that's in uh, Nightmare, isn't it? Yeah. Or is that yeah? That's not in Friday. And so, but yeah, there's the violence in Halloween is relatively subdued, which. I th- which air, I think lends to the air of creepiness to it. Yeah, the, you know, the, it, the kills aren't set pieces. So yeah, I mean, I I can't say enough good things about Halloween and and Halloween too. You know, it it the worst thing about Halloween too is that it follows on the heels of such a perfect damn near movie. perfect film. Yeah, and so in its own right, it's it's very good, but it it will never be able to live up to the original. Yeah. And I, I also wonder, and we can talk about this more. So I guess this is foreshadowing for our 2018 discussion is, was it a smart move to actually have it be later on the same night? Uh, you know, what, would we have gotten a better sequel if they had decided to like between the first two screen movies, there's a gap of at least a year. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. They graduate high school. They're off at college. Right. Um, time has passed. So the characters have had time to have to deal with the fallout essentially at the end of the movie whereas here we're right in the the thick of the fallout so like in a way i guess you're sort of you're borrowing on the tension of the first movie um and using it to kind of jumpstart your sequel so you don't have to start from zero again you know you get to start at the high point of the original but it also puts it in such sharp comparison to the first one that um i don't know that it's doing itself a favor there you know what i mean I like the idea that it takes place, that it's literally the same night that it takes place, you know, that it, Halloween 2 opens up with the final scene of Halloween. And so, I mean, I'm sure someone can, you know, someone has edited the two together and Into made it one a, three a, hour a, movie. Yeah. And that's another thing too, is that they both run at a pretty crisp 90 minutes. The yeah. pacing's, uh, pacing's fantastic in the first one. It's really good in the second one. And, you know, I, I and like sort of missed that, like this, this past Friday the 13th, I, me and my wife are like, Hey, let's every Friday the 13th, let's, let's watch a Jason movie. Let's, and then 
you know, over the course of like four or five years, we'll have watched through all of them. And then we can just cycle through them again. And, and watching it, I sort of remember like, damn, and these, these 90 minute, like seventies and eighties horror films, like slasher flicks, they fucking hit. They're, they're great. Like, you know, I mean, I, sometimes I don't want to watch a two and a half hour, you know, horror movie or, or superhero movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not everything needs to be two hours. Um, and I think especially there used to be more um, allowance for that. I feel like there's this, and I, it may just be a trend that's going on right now. It may change again, you know, because we had really long movies for a while and then movies got shorter again, you know, um, and then longer again, you know, so like early Hollywood, you've got movies running in, you know, about 70 minutes. And then you get into stuff like Gone with the Wind or whatever, that's like four hours long. And then, you know, so like Cleopatra, the Ten Commandments, shit like that. Yeah. These huge Cecil B. DeMille uh, type movies. So like I, you would think right now, I mean, there definitely seems to be a trend towards quantity. And I think the binging model sort of um, has helped maintain that. that. Yeah. Yeah. but you would also think as busy as most people are like, but I guess going to the movies is so expensive too. like, but even stuff that comes straight to streaming. In fact, I think stuff that goes straight to streaming a lot of times is even sloppier in terms of its editing and pacing because it's leaning into the binge thing, right? You know, you look at those Arrested Development episodes that went straight to Netflix and like they are saggy you know (laughs) like they they do not move at all like they are they move at a crawl like there's there there should never be a 45 minute episode of arrested development is all i'm saying Um, no yeah and i i think a lot of it has to do with you know that you know just because you can make it this long doesn't mean you should right and sort of this like like you said there's a sort of trend now where there's an emphasis on quantity you know maybe and i know i know for a fact that you know back in the gap back in the day that they a lot of theaters preferred shorter films because they could squeeze more screenings in per day and so like this could be uh you know this you know the the fact that these two movies run 90 minutes a piece you know it's probably might be testament to that yeah yeah and um I don't know. Yeah, they they feel efficient. They they go about their business. They don't waste your time. They're respectful of the audience's time. And I appreciate that. As do I. Thank uh, you, the- John Carpenter. Thank you, Deborah <laughs> Hill. Thank you, Mustafa Khad. And so Halloween, Carpenter always envisioned it as a sort of anthology series of sorts where you would have different stories. Like there would be like a new Halloween movie every year or two, and it would be a different story. And so you know, the first one, like we, like Sean was talking about earlier, was such a wild success that they are almost forced to to make a sequel. Yeah, I think, I think they were actually, I think Carpenter, there was some sort of legal mumbo jumbo where like, they kind of got pushed into making a sequel. Well, I mean, even if, even if it wasn't contractually obligated, I mean, they would have definitely gone ahead anyway. yeah. Yeah. And so but for the third one, which we will discuss next episode along with the 2018 Halloween movie, even though it doesn't have anything to do with Halloween, I've never seen it. And so I wanted to experience it for, you know, and talk about it. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a glimpse into an alternate timeline that could have been. But that didn't prove 
commercially viable. And so Michael Myers comes back for four, Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers. And they sort of continue the, the storyline with, you know, Laurie Strode, even though Jamie Lee Curtis isn't around, it's her daughter. It's her daughter now. Right. And so now Michael Myers is stalking her, stalking his niece. And there's like parallels between his behavior and what happens at the end of uh, four which is great. Yeah. You know, the end of four is fucking baller. <laughs> yeah. Say, so it's like, say what you want about that. You know, the, the Jamie trilogy, four, five, and six, the end of four with, where Jamie stabs, uh, her mother, where, where, where Jamie stabs her adoptive mother to to death and walks out in the same sort of clown costume and same sort of day stare, holding a bloody knife with Dr. Loomis screaming, no, no. Like, Trying to shoot her. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great, but yeah. uh, but we'll, we won't be discussing those. Not uh, this time around. Maybe someday we'll do a Jamie trilogy arc. But after you know, and each and each subsequent sequel became less commercially successful. You know, five being less successful than four, six being less successful than five, and it's at this point, you know, the late nineties that in nineteen ninety eight to be specific, that they decide to go back to the drawing board, back to basics. And they bring back Jamie Lee Curtis. They bring back the Laurie Strode character for Halloween H2O. H2O comes out uh, both, you know, IRL and in the timeline 20 years later. It's yes. that's how they get the, the H2O title, you know, Halloween 20, 20 years later. And then they have the, the corny, but sort of like awesome. Like I think horror some usually kind of toes that line and when it works it it, it toes it very well is uh like that t- line between like cheesy and cool which and that the tagline is blood is thicker than water. I forgot about the tagline. That's great. So let's talk about that title for a second. Are, okay. are you are you saying the title toes the line between cheesy No, and no, water? the tagline. Oh okay, okay. Cuz I think that title is just like it's it's very 90s. Uh, like there, I don't think there is anything about this movie. There's very little about this movie that isn't '90s. Intensely '90s. Aggressively '90s. <laughs> you can put that on the box. Um, so this is just to get into the Sean and Sergio of it all. This is the first Halloween movie we saw in theaters, or at least the first one I saw in theaters. Unless you were sneaking into the Jamie trilogy in grade school. And didn't and when you introduced me to the Halloween franchise, yeah. I was like, I, I feigned ignorance. Like, oh, what? It, it, it seems to mean a lot to it. There's a Michael Myers. <laughs> you mean the guy who plays Austin Powers? That's so weird. That's so. But cool. He's also a killer. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll watch these movies with you, sure, buddy. <laughs> I love Austin Powers. Wayne's World Two is underrated. Um, but yeah, so. I remember being very, very hyped for this movie as a fan of the franchise um, and knowing that Kevin Williamson, who was, I think, every aspiring teenager in the 90s, like favorite screenwriter at that point, because he yeah. had Scream 1 and 2 and um, Dawson's and, Creek. And Dawson's Creek, that's right. The and faculty. so was, oh, the faculty was really good. Yeah. I need to watch that again. I haven't seen it in a while. But yeah, so. Um, just feeling like this is a, you know, a Parker Lewis can't lose situation. I mean, yeah, like Kevin Williamson was to uh, teenagers at that time, what like Aaron Sorkin is to like upper middle class white White. liberals. (laughs) In the mid 2000s. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I haven't missed a Halloween movie in theater since then. Uh, I will be risking Delta, uh, the Delta variant, to see it in theaters uh, one way or another. The new one, Halloween Kills, in a couple of weeks. Um, and if you don't want to take that risk, if you don't want to uh, gamble your life as like Sean is, uh, it's going it's to be available. <laughs> you don't have a death wish. It's going to be available on Peacock streaming. That's right. So that's pretty cool. Are you gonna Are you gonna do theater or? I'm not sure. I haven't decided yet. So yeah, I we saw it the last weekend before tenth grade started. Like it was like two days before, and I think we actually recorded our first radio show that same weekend. So actually, that whole weekend is like the 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 fertile crescent of this podcast <laughs> and this arc of this podcast. Yeah, when they dig up the bones, uh, centuries, millennia from now, they'll they'll link. There's going to be several like missing bones and several missing uh, uh, tools, like evolutions, like evolutionary like stages. Right. But uh, yeah, that's definitely the, the mother of all civilization. <laughs> or at least of our story. The cradle um, of all civilization. Um, so yeah, H2O, do you like the title or do you, do, you, do you even feel like at this point, like you can have an objective opinion about the title just because you're so used to it? Because the movie's 23 years old now. Yeah, it's um, I don't know that I like it. I don't know that I dislike it. I just I think it's just a title. Fair. I think uh, I think it's somewhat clever. You know, it's uh, if you were to tell someone, oh, uh, this is Halloween twenty years later. It's called Halloween H two O. Like, oh, okay, ah, with the water and then and the twenty years and the Halloween the H. <laughs> Got it. Um, so yeah, like I I don't have any like strong feelings either way on it. Do you think there are any people out there who like fervently insisted on calling it H20? <laughs> like refuse to, to give in to the obvious, you know, like just adamantly like, no, it's H20 guys. Probably, probably. There's probably some, some, someone who, who not even as a bit, like just like dug their heels in. And... Like someone who like sort of started it as just to like, you know, just to rub people the wrong way and then forgot like everything about themselves and like fell into it and that became their thing yeah and that how they lost their, their friends and they probably have a uh, movie blog right now that seven people read that's very angry um so yeah halloween h2o um uh title the the title itself being um dumb or cool or whatever and something in between but the movie itself fucking slaps the movie itself is way better than it has any right being. <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, I, I have some issues with it, but um, I'd say overall, like, I, it's not as good as I wanted it to be when I was 15, but it's also, like, when you look at the Halloween movies around it, like, like Curse of Michael Myers before and then Resurrection after, it is like a high watermark for the franchise. Yeah, yeah. You think for a moment that it, the franchise might be back because after the curse of Michael Myers, you think like, oh damn, like we are in the dread. Like, they just steadily keep getting worse and worse. <laughs> and then you know, with the resurrection, you're like, oh no, never mind. Like this is the anomaly. This <laughs> like you know, this is like the baseline. This is where we're at at, at this point with this franchise. And um, but it's it's like we said earlier, it's aggressively '90s. You've got introducing Josh Hartnett in it. Yeah. You've got 
the like villainous from She's All That in it. You've got one of Seth Green's homeboys from Can't Hardly Wait is in it. <laughs> You've got, you know, uh, Michelle, Michelle Williams, Williams, Dawson's Creek, like, you know, babe herself in it. <laughs> I mean, it's like the only LL per- Cool J. LL Cool J is in it. I mean, that's he, it's, he gets he, him, him and uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, who is in it. Uh, they get the with credits. So nice. Yeah, it's with LL Cool J and Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, I remember you told me that to you, it sometimes felt like, um, like an extended CW pilot because, because there's the first scene is uh, uh, the the first scene is great. The first scene is fantastic. The first scene is, uh, like in, in the best way, stereotypically Halloween. Right. Right. And then the, like a third act is fucking phenomenal and it's Very that scary it's about that like that 40 to 50 minutes in between that that i i feel is is the weakest part of the movie because it leans too heavily on the history of the franchise whereas if you're introducing someone if you're what if you're trying to tell someone like hey just watch this movie uh and it's the first halloween movie if they don't know I mean, they are familiar with the look of Michael Myers, but they've never seen one of the films. I can see them getting bored with the with the the storyline that they've got. That Laurie Strode is, you know, so overwhelmed by fear that she won't let her son live his life, and like his sort of like rebellion against that. It's it's all very CW, right? And it. There, it gets really involved like in her reluctant relationship with Adam Arkin, who's the, the, the guidance counselor, I think um, like their romance gets a lot of screen time. Like that. What's interesting is that it's relatively compelling drama to watch. Like it's well acted. It's well written. Like, it's, no, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's not anything that um, like you said, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's watchable. You know, it's not, it's, it doesn't seem contrived in any sense, but it it's also, not raising the tension either, to, yeah, for me at least. No, exactly. It's it seems a bit uh, like it's almost like it's two movies in one, and uh, and so like I said, like if if you don't have that history with the franchise, like you and I, like recently just watched each film, you know, preceding that a couple of times over, and right. so like we know what's coming up, but for someone else who may not like have that experience. It's just like, am I watching a horror movie or is this a fucking, is this, is this mom going to let her kid go to Yosemite? I don't know what it was going on. <laughs> are the, are those kids going to fuck or what? Like, is, is Michael Myers going to show up at Yosemite? Like, is he going to kill the kids <laughs> at the Grand Tetons? Like what's going on here? So it's a bold move, uh, moving the franchise out of Illinois and into California and setting it at a prep school, which also doesn't help with the CW of it all. Yeah. Or, or WB of it all, rather, um, to put it in the correct time period. Um, I think the other big problem about that middle chunk is that the scenes you do get with Michael aren't very scary. Um, like, you, you talk about it leaning on the history of the franchise, and I, I think you had brought up specifically, there's a scene maybe in the first third, first half of the movie, where this woman and her kids stop at a rest stop to go to the bathroom, and Michael steals their car. Yeah. And he doesn't hurt them. 
he even leaves them the car he had. <laughs> like they're, they're, So there's this tension of, oh no, he's going to hurt them, but then it doesn't happen. And then you see him again outside of the, um, the, the security gates. booth. Yeah. yeah. And again, like he goes to such great lengths to not have to hurt LL Cool J's character. Yeah, he so sort it, of it, he sort of like tricks him into uh, like Metal Gear in. Solid style, like leaving something <laughs> out. He's like, hey, what is that? And he goes and checks on it and then he sneaks behind him. Uh, I, I mean, I could, was nothing. I could uh, like I could, I could get away or I could I, I could understand like I could do the mental gymnastics to to explain away him not killing LL Cool J's character because you know, that, that could cause a scene, you know, like a dead security guard at the, the, the front of a, right. uh, of a prep school or even a missing security guard right. might, you know, draw some eyes or some attention. But as far as like the mom and the kid goes, I mean, he, by all intentions, probably should have killed at least the mom, but at the same time, like, but, and then, but the kid, if they're not going to kill the mom, they're definitely not going to kill the kid. And I just feel like they, weren't willing to take it to that length and so if you're not willing to like go to that next level of violence don't put those characters in that scene exactly i mean we have we uh in rob zombies he puts in some pervert trucker to keep to be killed so that's someone that's that that pervert trucker is someone we can all root for you know they're they're death right 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 just trying to enjoy an orgasm amidst his like because i think he's jerking off in a toilet stall or something um you know, just trying to alleviate the pain of existence for like five fucking minutes. That guy deserves no, to die. You, des- you are going to suffer along with the rest of us, good sir. That's right. And more so because you tried to step outside the bounds of what's socially acceptable. And these are the consequences. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like there there needed to be something to bridge to up the stakes and make Michael feel like more of a threat. Like once he gets there and starts fucking up kids, like he feels scary as hell. But like until then, it feels almost like the movie is neutered. You know, it could have, it could almost be PG-13 if you took like the ice skate out of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face in the first act up until the end, you know? Um, So I, that, that has always bugged me and it still bugs me every time I watch it. And it's something that I personally feel like the 2018 Halloween did much better. And it'll be interesting to see how you, um, how you feel, because this will be your first time with it. I've seen it a couple of times, and, but this will be the first time I've watched it in such close proximity to H2O. So I'll be interested to compare when we get there. Once Michael, like that scene with the, the, with uh, Sarah and the dumbwaiter with her leg and everything. That just, it's brutal. Yeah. The bad guy from She's All That. Yeah, the villainous. Yeah. And so, yeah, she like gets her leg mangled, getting, it gets caught in the dumbwaiter and it gets mangled. And on on top of that, like she's already been stabbed in the leg once or like in the arm, uh, escaping Michael after finding her boyfriend, uh, like with a, um, what is it? Like a a cork open, a a A corkscrew, a corkscrew, like, shoved in his neck um and so yeah that like and her kind of like weakly like gasping for uh, to not to like for mercy asking saying please yeah yeah, and so that like that like that's that's some just chef kiss horror michael myers stuff right there right um the mask is 
fucking terrible. The mask is the worst. <laughs> like it, to to quote your wife on the uh, uh, about a different movie. It's the Party City version of Michael Myers. Mask. It's yeah, it's terrible. It's it's you see too much of his eyes. It's like mm-hmm. it's like how how difficult is it to recreate a mask? Apparently, very. Um, because I don't know that anybody ever got it right after the first one. Like I think in part two, it looked off and it's been a while since I've watched four and five and six, but I'm pretty sure it just got progressively worse. But I don't, yeah, um, I don't, I don't remember it being bad though. I remember it being passable. Like, okay, it's, it's slightly different. You can tell it's not the same mask, but at least it's passable. Like the, the mask in Halloween H2O is fucking terrible. In an otherwise very entertaining movie, it is embarrassing as a Halloween fan to be like, yeah, that this was, you know, it's the return of Jamie Lee Curtis. And uh, look at this awesome mask they got to, you know, really show that like Halloween's got production value. Again. It's back, baby. Um, yeah, like, you should never they, be able to see his eyes. They spent all the uh, all their money on getting Creed on the soundtrack. <laughs> Yeah, there's a Is scene. It the girls who were listening to Creed while they're smoking pot and getting ready to. No, it's party. uh, it's when uh, it's when Michelle Williams and Josh Hartnett are having like their little like you know, on the couch, rom- couch romantic. Moment. Yeah, while her their friends are being brutally murdered. <laughs> well, preparing yeah. dinner ostensibly, but yes, also being brutally murdered. But uh, um, but the film oh, is- also the scene. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say the scene where Michael has them behind the gate and they've dropped the keys is also scary yeah. as shit. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's a heart pounder. And then it has that shot, which if it was a better mask would be like twice as iconic, which is the Lori and Michael on either side of the glass. On yeah, that the, was, that's uh, fantastic. That's pretty badass. There's a lot of really cool imagery in this movie. Um, there's, there's that, there's the... There's a sort of like the face to face between, you know, with the glass in between. There is uh, after Lori has sent the, the teenagers off to go find for help and she has the axe and she starts like walking towards the school. And like you just see like the like the like her silhouette almost and the Halloween theme starts up and she starts screaming for Michael. Uh, there's a shot at the end after she beheads Michael and just stands there in front of the the wreckage holding the axe <laughs> like you know covered in blood like looking like she'd just gone through hell and, a- and possibly it sort of uh, to me at least it it seemed like it was meant to echo like Michael after he killed his sister in the first movie like that there's just you know not not saying that she's gone there but like that you know they're just just making making that connection trying to make the viewer just a tiny bit uneasy at the end i could see that for sure i didn't feel at all i thought it was awesome i thought like the sort of final girl trope that you know we discussed earlier in the episode that halloween inadvertently created right uh it was inverted in h2o where like she no longer becomes the victim but she becomes the stalker herself like she begins stalking michael she begins searching him out steals an ambulance at gunpoint to finish the job uh which is pretty great i mean like at that point it's like i will do whatever it takes to make this end forever i don't care if i end up in prison or you know uh, my or if i go to smith's grove sanitarium like i am putting this fucker in the ground and that's i mean for 20 years she's been worried about just this happening 
and the, I, like there's a there's a certain point and it's when she sends the kids off she's like this is this has to end one way or the other like i can't continue living like this like he's found me at one he's found me all he's he has found me after 20 years what's to say he's not going to find me again right like i said it's, it's way better than it has any right being yeah yeah solid uh character work solid dialogue you know it i mean especially again you compare the dialogue and acting in the two movies on either side of it or even like two to three movies on either side of this and it's definitely I would probably I mean it's one of the best Halloween movies for sure and it's also the shortest Halloween movie do you think it would benefit from being a little bit longer or do you think that really the movie is an excuse to get us to that last 20 minutes and it kind of gets us there as quick as it can and you know because that's the show piece that's what everybody's there to see and so they're not wasting too much time although they do spend a lot building characters so i don't know i would it have benefited from a longer cat and mouse game with michael and laurie instead of not getting them face to face until the last 20 minutes or is it better i don't think so i think the pacing of that last 30 minutes is really good like it's it doesn't feel like it drags at all. And I feel like mm-hmm. if you, if you mess with that, if you add, if you add a little bit more then you know, the, the tension might drop just a little bit. Uh, but I mean, it's 90 minutes, Halloween one, Halloween two, or both around 90 minutes. I mean, to me that if that's almost like the perfect time length for like your typical slasher film. It's actually 86 minutes. So it's even shorter um, than the original Halloween. It is the shortest Halloween movie. By, by like five minutes, but yeah. still like um, definitely um, I, I, I agree. I've, you know, I, I'm never uh, of the opinion like, oh, movies should be some arbitrary length. It should be as long as it needs to be. But I do appreciate a movie that knows exactly what it's there to do, gets in, does it and gets out and respects the audience's time and mortality. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like I can think of plenty of movies I've seen that would benefit greatly from having 20 to 30 minutes cut from it and so yeah movies that i like too like that i really enjoy but i'm still like come on (laughs) at a certain point so the 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 end of the movie it it ends with uh with laurie strode beheading michael myers and come to find out in hollow and come to find out in halloween resurrection that the man that she beheaded is actually this poor innocent paramedic that Michael switched with like during the entire, I guess, like a um, cleanup process. Uh, he comes back to life and, or uh, yeah, he comes back to life and uh, knocks his guy out. Switches puts, clothes. Switches clothes, puts the mask on him and then they zip him up. And so, uh, and so that's, and so that's how they explain away sort of like Michael, like reaching out to her. Like he's like, oh, and his mouth is taped shut too. So he can't talk. Right. Right. And so, uh and so then resurrection starts with michael myers finally killing laurie strode and then i guess going home to do battle with buster rhymes yeah they're well they're doing like a reality show set in the myers house and he's like well i finished my life's work i guess (laughs) i don't know why he doesn't go after josh hartnett's character who is still alive i mean that's yeah and and that's the point of it is like the reason that they left the reason that they like do this sort of um in uh in pro wrestling terms it's called a dusty finish where let's say you have a champion he has the belt 
and you have a, a challenger and uh, you want to you want to you want the challenger to win but you don't want him to win the belt so something will happen where uh the refer like the referee will get knocked out and the good guy ends up like getting the advantage and pinning the champion so i've won the belt i've won the belt then a second referee comes in and says no no this happened blah blah blah, blah. and so it's a dq and so you know the the, the, uh, the guy still has the belt and so this dusty finish is kind of like your 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 way to have your cake and eat it too right and i feel like this is uh the movie equivalent of that because you have laurie strode beheading michael myers and it feels like this is the end of that story right but you also come in and say like, oh, no, wait, wait, uh, that guy is actually Michael Myers. It's just some dude who uh, some dude who just graduated from ENP school. He's got a wife and a kid and that's just really <laughs> fucked up. Uh, and so now I, off to Smith's Grove with her. And so we uh, and it's the producer's fault because they're like, we don't like this character is too iconic to to let die to literally like, you know, literally on screen, let die. We want to be able to make more movies. And so that's why they come up with this convoluted ending and they make the worst Halloween movie hands down yeah. of them all <laughs> and yeah. like lose so much like goodwill with the audience that they have to do a complete reboot several years later when they could have just done the fucking reboot after H2O. It's true. Yeah. And- you were- yeah, <laughs> and with as good as H two O was, I feel from the Halloween community, if you had said if, if they had said like, hey, you know, obviously Michael Myers was killed at the end of Halloween H two O, but we wanted to keep doing Halloween movies. We love making them. You love watching them. So we're gonna do a reboot. We're gonna start from scratch and do a reimagining, do a reboot, do a restart, do whatever it's called, and we're gonna start with Halloween one. And I feel like, mo- I, I mean, I feel most of the horror community would have been like, okay, that makes. I mean. As far as like reboots are concerned, like you know, everyone has their opinions on them. But if you're going to reboot oh, the franchise, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you might as well, you know, do it on an up note. Like after when after it feels that you've you've mined that vein for all there is to get. Yeah, yeah. Instead of bringing back Jamie Lee for a cameo in the beginning of so let let me ask you when you see her behead Michael, I have the I have the same problem with Aliens, right? Where it's really hard to not think about when I'm watching aliens that Hicks and Newt are going to die, you know, as they get into their pods and there's the happy ending. Like, do you have trouble like getting yourself back into the headspace of, Oh, that's, you know, that is Michael getting beheaded or are you already like, Oh, that poor paramedic. Like, no, I, I, I as you're watching, I completely have um, compartmentalized resurrection. Like it doesn't even come up. Like to me, like, like this is essentially the end of the Halloween franchise version 1.0 pretty much. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, they, it's, I mean, like, and that's kind of why we framed, like, that's kind of why we put together these episodes the way we did. We Halloween one, Halloween two, Halloween H2O, like that in itself forms like this trilogy. Right. Right. And, and the other thing with, you know, with, with the continuity is there are sort there are sort of like illusions if you watch halloween for the return of michael myers you see a um uh well it's revealed that uh 
that Laurie Strode has died in a car accident. Right. And she's left behind his daughter, Michael Myers' niece, Jamie, who then, you know. Becomes the protagonist of exactly. the next couple of movies. Yeah. Uh, there are allusions to that car wreck because at the beginning of Halloween H2O, like there's, you see a little um, like newspaper clipping that Laurie Strode has, has died in a car accident. But of course, in the, in the H2O plot, that was done sort of to you know get her away from everything. And, and in my opinion, uh, the continuity of H2O completely disavows four, five, and six, because for Lori Stroh to have a daughter and then abandon her <laughs> yeah. would make her a complete piece of shit. Right. But it also doesn't really deal with like, what's he been doing for the last 20 years? Like, because at the end of Halloween 2, his eyes have been shot out and he's been set on fire. And so like you go through four or five and six, you know, his body goes through some rehab. We learned about some curses, you know, there's some shit going on. Um, so it's, it's almost like another example of, I guess, having cake and eating it too, because like you could see a version of alcoholic Lori Strode deciding I'm going to make a clean break. My daughter, daughter will be better off without me maybe. And then getting knocked up again, you know, by her alcoholic, you know, husband who, you know, they make allusions to an H2O. So I, I feel like you can, you can, the, it's vague enough that you could kind of do it both ways, but like it really, if it really is disavowing four, five and six completely, then it, it, it's just weirder to me that he's we have no idea where he's been or what he's been doing for 20 years. And he's still got the same outfit and the mask and everything. Like we don't even see him get the mask back. You know, he's just suddenly there. Um, yeah. I'm fine with that. I mean, fair. Uh, I'm, I'm not as much. <laughs> I, I, I really, one of, one of the things I like about the slasher films is the way that they sort of, you know, the sequels will kind of retcon like, okay, well, he got shot down a mine shaft at the end of four, but then in five, he sort of swim, you know, the, it lets out in a stream and he kind of swims up until he finds this farmer who takes him in and nurses him back to health. And then he murders the farmer. So like, I wouldn't Circle have minded. Life. Exactly. As we all do. It's we've all done it. It's going to happen. Tell to you us. how many times I have nursed, a man I found swimming in the sewer water back to hell only to be murdered by said man. <laughs> it's happened too many times to count. Yeah. I, fool me once. Murder me once. Shame on you. <laughs> but I, I don't. Yeah, I think I, 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 choo I choose to believe that Laurie Strode is not that kind of person. I mean, although, that's, although that's your, your rationale that, you know, full blown alcoholic Laurie, like completely suffering from ptsd doesn't have shit together because she can't stop reliving the night he came home right. uh might say like hey, you know what like this kid is like i'm just gonna fuck this kid up right if if she stays with me so i'm gonna make a clean break and jamie gets adopted out Lori goes off and i mean that's you know, obviously like you know uh it's known as a geographic cure and that often doesn't work and so she ends right. up she ends up getting knocked up again and this time i guess maybe whatever happens and she sort of like straightens up but i yeah I, I mean you can sort of fit them in um but 
I choose not to. That's my truth. And that's what I'm going to speak. And that that's fine. I think that the movie is framed in such a way that it allows for that, but also doesn't completely erase the possibility of four five and six, although it makes Lori an actively terrible person (laughs) rather than just a victim who, you know, she, that, that creates a Lori who's left a victim in her own wake. And that makes her responsible for Jamie's death in six eventually, you know, and all the hell that Jamie went through. Um, So yeah, it, it, it's better for Lori if that's not how it went. Yeah. And I like Lori. She's a, she's a good kid. She's got a lot of pluck. Yeah. I like her too. And she's, she seems like a good mom. I mean, overprotective for sure. But like, like she and her son have a good like dialogue, you know, they actually communicate very well, even if they don't agree on things. Yeah. Um, Like, yeah, she's very likable. I mean, she's got problems, but who doesn't, you know, and, yeah i mean you would too in that situation i wouldn't i wouldn't be nearly as together as she is 20 years after my uh brother i didn't know about came home murdered all my friends yeah i've I've never had a i've never had a psychotic brother come back and try to kill me and my friends and i've you know i'm pretty i've got i barely got my shit together at 40 so yeah just now Uh, Well, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of our Michael Myers and Lori Strode arc. We'll be back in just a couple of short weeks with our discussion on the 2018 Halloween, which continues, which sort of, which definitely, like we talked about the, the, the fractured timelines. uh, We talked about the, we talked about the ambiguous nature of whether or not seven disavows or or contains the the plot lines of four five and six but halloween 2018 definitely does away with everything except for the original movie it is a direct sequel to that movie does away with all the the sibling the sibling plot point and so we'll be discussing that in addition to halloween three season of the witch which isn't doesn't have any michael myers doesn't have any Laurie Strode except for one she once except for one scene on a television, right? But it's a it's a it's the only Halloween film that I haven't seen because it's like oh there's no Michael Myers what's the fucking point? And apparently many people felt that way upon its release, <laughs> and so we'll be talking about that one as well in just a couple of weeks, all leading up to our third episode in which we discuss the brand new Halloween movie Halloween Kills. Yes. You don't know what death is. Can't wait for that one. So join us again in two weeks. Thank you again for listening. You're all beautiful children of the sun. My name is Sergio. Mine is Sean. Be kind to yourself and to others. I wonder if he's just somebody's kid or something and they're like, hey, we need a Michael. And he's like, well, how about my son? He looks really like he could kill somebody or maybe good. (laughs) I I was like, we need a kid who could play young Michael. Hey, what about your son? What are you saying? Why my son? <laughs> <laughs>